Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we celebrate the winners of the Ig Nobel Prizes for 2022. It's science that makes you laugh and then think. What connects ducks, slipstreams, bike riding and even a fish with an Ig Nobel Prize? Plus, we find out about trying to find the perfect match and what your heart can tell you about how compatible you are with the partner that you're talking to. It's September and that means it's award season. And of course, in the scientific community, the most prestigious and exciting award that everyone wants to hear and talk about is, no, not the Nobel Prize, no, not the Fields Medal, not any of these other establishments that have very complicated histories with awarding based on gender or racial equity. No, instead I'm talking about the prizes that make everybody laugh and then make people think. That is, of course, the motto of the Ig Nobel Prizes presented by the Annals of Improbable Research. And this year, in their 32nd annual Ig Nobel Prize ceremony, they awarded some pretty, some amazing research. And this week, we're going to focus on a couple of those research winners and prizes and talk about exactly what they discovered and why it made us and others laugh and also think. What do a fish, cycling, and a duck, or rather a mother duck, and some ducklings have in common? Well, what ties them all together? is of course an Ig Nobel Prize. Now, the fish in this case is Professor Frank Fish, a professor in biology at Westchester University in Pennsylvania. Now, Professor Fish was actually doing some pretty interesting studying on hydrodynamics. Now, that is a pretty amazing thing for a person called Fish to be studying, but I guess it makes sense. What is less clear is why he then turned his attention to ducks rather than actual fish, but, well, maybe he was bored of the pun. Now, what Professor Fish and others were studying in this case was a pretty unusual sight. Now, we are all familiar with the sight of ducks in a row, swimming in a nice, neat little line. But why were they doing this? And we know that this is a pretty well-established thing in other areas. If you watch cycling or running or car racing, you'll see that people often try and stay in the slipstream. And what they mean by that is that by hiding more or less directly behind the leading rider or car or person, then you get some aerodynamic benefit. Basically, the lead person cuts through the air and creates a pressure wave or trough behind them And if you stay in that sweet spot behind them, you actually have an effective, easier run. Now, that is very useful for cutting down on drag and making you more efficient in your racing. But that's not exactly what ducks are doing. They're not trying to get from point to B, A to B in a race. They're actually trying to stick together and follow their mother duck. So, yeah, okay, maybe that's what's going on here. But why would they have evolved such a precise use of this technique? And so that's what stumped Professor Fish and others, because they wanted to really understand exactly what was happening. And the best way to do so is, of course, as always, to build some mathematical models. Professor Fish actually originally published on this all the way back in 94, but now in 2021, published in the Journal of Fluid Mechanics, along with Ziming Yuan, Minglu Chen, Lav Zhengzha, Shuan Ji, and Attila Inesek actually published, and thus some of the award, a further follow-up study about wave riding and wave passing by ducklings in formation swimming. Now, 
The reason why this second follow-up paper got so much more attention is because, well, they did the math and they did the work to investigate this in much, much more detail. To really answer the questions, why are ducks swimming in formation? What actually is the best theoretical possible formation? And what actually happens from an energy perspective? How much energy can you preserve by swimming in a formation? Now, to answer all these types of questions, they made mathematical and numerical models. Then they can calculate from that the wave drag on a group of ducks or waterfowl, any real bird swimming in this case would work. Now, what they saw when they did this study is they found two interesting phenomena. First is called wave riding, and the other one they call wave passing. Now, in wave riding, this is what we talked about, you get the wave, the drag reduction. By basically riding the waves generated by the mother duck, a trailing duck can get a significant wave drag reduction, especially when a duckling sw swims at the sweet spot behind its mother. Now, the thing is, that sort of slipstream effect is well understood, but there's actually some even more interesting spots further back. Now, if you're exactly at the right spot where you have some kind of destructive wave interference occurring between the two waves, the pressure of the trough wave of, of the lead duck in this case, you actually get a boosting effect. Because of the waves, the pressure trough waves of you moving forward and the wave coming backwards, they sort of combine with each other and they can interact in such a way that actually the wave drag effect becomes positive. So instead of trying to minimize your drag and cut through the slipstream, that drag is now actually pulling you forward in actually helping you drag you along. In this way, the mother duck is actually pulling along the ducklings behind her through the complex means of fluid mechanics. As long as that duckling stays in the spot behind, then actually they get taken along for the ride. Now, actually not the first immediate behind duckling, they get a bit of a boost, but actually the further back you go, especially from around the third one of the queue, you get a real substantive reduction in the amount of energy required in actually in order to keep in line. So, okay, the second and the third duck, they still have to kick along pretty hard, but less hard than the mother duck has to. They get some benefit, but they don't have zero effort. The ones at the back, though, effectively, they get dragged along for the ride as long as they stay in position. They really don't have to expend a lot of energy at all. At least that's what the mathematics says. And actually what we're talking about here is basically the bouncing of the constructive or positive interference waves against each other. So it's really actually not impossible to actually simulate this in a lot of detail. Certainly much easier to simulate than it is to harangue some ducks. So in this formation swimming technique, the wave's energy gets passed from one to back, further back and further back without really much energy losses. And with these techniques of wave riding and wave passing, you, you can see why that birds would swim in this kind of formation. It really cuts down on energy expenditure, but also keeps them all together and moving. Now, if you're a parent, keeping your children all dragged along with you is immensely helpful and helps keep them coordinated. It also means that they don't have to expend as much energy, meaning you have to feed them less. There's plenty of actual reasons why this technique would have been evolved and honed in nature, but it is relying on really complicated physical interference wave patterns in the waves themselves some intricate fluid dynamics that probably the fish aren't naturally 
aware of, but may be aware of intuitively the effects it can have. And certainly that's why they swim in formations. Now, it doesn't have to be a straight line. A diamond formation can also work. And the longer the string of ducklings is, as we talked about, the more compounded this effect becomes. So once you get more than three positions, then it actually becomes really easy. Now, this is a pretty amazing research by Professor Fish and others, and why they awarded the Ig Nobel Prize for Physics. Because it shows just exactly how much energy you can save by staying in the right spot, following behind your mother duck in this case, and maintaining your zone along with all the other siblings. And if you manage to play your cards right, then you really don't have to kick along at all. But it does explain why ducks manage to swim in a line, and that's why Professor Fish and others were awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in Physics. intricate coordinated activities that any person can be involved in is of course finding some kind of romantic partner. This involves a lot of communication, understanding, reading body language, reading signals and actual literal language as well, be it verbal or non-verbal. And these are all difficult and complicated and difficult things to get your head around. And that's what researchers like Alishka Boraskova was trying to get her head around as she navigated the social dating scene. Now, this was a little bit difficult for her because she would find the apparent scientifically perfect and seemingly on paper great match in all kinds of dating apps and, and online meeting mechanisms. But when she got to meet that person face to face, she'd find often that that perfect catch wasn't actually that perfect for all. There was no spark when they met face to face. Now, instead of being too bogged down on this topic, she did what any good scientist would naturally do, and, and that is turn this into an opportunity to conduct some experiments. So she set up people on blind dates in real social settings and tried to analyse their physiological reactions to each other. Now, okay, this is, seems like a crazy thing, but really what she was trying to dive into was like, does the concept of love at first sight exist? Now, that's not really what they were trying to investigate, but it was more around, is there some kind of compatibility and biological soft signals that we get? When you say that there was no spark between two people, what does that mean on a physiological sense? And can that even be measured? And that's the question they were trying to answer. Now, just so happy to be that involving dating and involving lots of complex measuring equipment installed while people were undertaking blind dates. Not exactly a way to make that any easier, but at least it gave them something to talk about. Now the other winners of this prize, along with Alishka, was Alyosha Jakshi, Federike Berens, Daniel Lind and Mariska Kret. And what they wrote on was actually published in the journal Nature in November 2021, which is a pretty big deal. And it's a pretty interesting study because what they actually found is that when they measured people's heart rates in these blind date settings, they found that in the cases where people reported a sense of chemistry, of real interest and match between the people involved, well, they actually saw they synchronized. The heart rates of these people managed to start 
to line up. And that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. A physiological response to this feeling that these people were having that they were, you know, in a, in a probably in a good setting. It, it was someone that they wanted to spend more time with and someone that they were feeling good about. And what you saw is that people were pretty quickly able to decide very quickly what in like first two seconds or not of the date where they what their basic opinions of this person sitting in front of them were going to be this initial gut feel reaction and response and you could see often this case happening in like physiological sense as well and so from the data that they collected they managed to gain a lot of insight into what people expect and how people interact with strangers in these blind date settings on a physiological level and that's why it was published in the journal nature actually it was a reasonable interesting and high quality journal to actually get published in because of course they were wearing some really special eye tracking glasses with embedded cameras and measuring physiological signals like heart rate and skin conductors and what they found really were the overt signals smiles laughter eye gaze or the mimicry of those signals that wasn't associated all of those other data that they got that wasn't really associated with that feeling of the spark or chemical attraction Really, all it came down to when the best correlation that they found was the synchronizing in heart rates and skin conductance between partners. Now, that's amazing because all those other things are things that you can regulate. Eye contact, mimicking, smiling back, laughter. These are all signals that you learn to try and read when interacting with other people and communicating and often find yourself doing unconsciously even too. But what this research shown is that they know really unconscious stuff like your heart rate that are difficult to regulate. That stuff, well, that was actually a better measure to find this, the measure of someone's compatibility or synchronizational match with a partner. And that goes to show you don't know exactly what you're looking for when you undertake some of these studies. You try and measure every parameter because you're trying to find which one will have the best correspondence. In this case, it ended up being something that they didn't necessarily expect, a bit counterintuitive. Now, this is some great research, which is why these were awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in Applied Cardiology for finding what is the best way to measure compatibility or spark with someone and how that's actually most likely to be your synchronized heart rates this has been the young scientists of australia's podcast lagrange point this week we found out how compatible you are it can be tied back to looking at your synced heart rates and how mother ducks can pull along their children behind them using some pretty impressive fluid our ending theme was composed by audio and head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of australia